Clad 2, and I'm at Southeast Linux Fest 2010, sitting here with Celeste Lynn Paul uh, from pretty much the KDE project, I'd say. Um, Celeste, how are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, so how are you liking the fest? Is this is your first Southeast Linux fest? Um, yes, although haven't there only been a few? Two. Yeah, so I'm one for two. <laughs> cool. So Celeste, you gave a talk today about KDE Everywhere. Yes. And what is the idea behind KDE Everywhere? Basically, KDE Everywhere is is trying to describe how KDE is more than just a desktop operating system and it's more than just the technology. So KDE has actually rebranded itself recently from more than just the desktop environment, the technology, but mm-hmm. what we're trying to get away from, to the community. And it's the community that is really KDE, and it's the community that produces the technology, and it's the community that helps people be free and provide them ways to be more free through providing a, a great you know, desktop environment. Um, but the other part of it is KDE isn't just for the computer desktop. It's not just for that computer that's sitting in your home office or sitting at school. It's not even just the, the, the desktop environment that's sitting on your laptop. We've gotten smaller and we've gotten more abstract and fuzzier. We've moved on to netbooks and it's not just squeezing KDE down to fit onto a netbook. Right. We've actually designed an interface specifically for the netbook. We've moved on to phones, and so Qt has been a popular technology, especially since uh, Nokia re- acquired Trolltech, right. for smartphones. And so that allows KDE to easily be ported and provide a lot of the KDE functionality to smartphones. And again, we it's not just about the technology or even the hardware. KDE provides a lot of services that allows users to interact with you know, anything and everything up in the cloud that people like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So you can interface with Facebook, you can interface with microblogging, you can interface with pretty much any service that makes its API or information available. And so that's really what I mean by KDE is everywhere because it's not just here on the desktop, this, you know, solid piece of technology. It's really more of a free idea and providing freedom for everyone anywhere. If that is the case, um, shouldn't we start seeing KDE on more than just, you know, Linux and BSD? I mean, yes. Well, and I mean, actually, and I know there's a Windows port, and I know mm-hmm, there's sort mm-hmm. of a Mac port, but I mean, I'm talking like really, <laughs> you know. There, there's a lot of great work being done um, porting KDE to Windows Vista and Windows 7. In fact. Uh, people have gotten the Plasma desktop to work flawlessly with Windows oh, 7. Oh, really? Although, uh, maybe not the rest of it. So the applications aren't running as well, but okay. I've I've seen just some amazing work where you see Plasma widgets and Windows 7 widgets side-by-side mm-hmm. side <laughs> wow. working in harmony. It's okay. like, Wow, yeah. it, this is this is a Linux technology. This is a non-Windows technology. Yeah. It, it looks like it belongs there. So that's really exciting. Um, and, you know, same with macOS. macOS has a Unix backend, so it makes things a little bit easier. But it's KDE, I mean, when you talk about open source technology and you, you talk about the open source community, a lot of it centers around Linux because it's really, you know, at the, the head of the movement. But, you know, BSD is not Linux, but mm. BSD also, you know, KDE also runs on BSD. Sure. KDE also runs on Solaris. So mm-hmm. it's it's... You know, it's not just Linux, it's 
it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> Not to repeat myself or sound cliche, <laughs> I can but play, Katie no, I can really play a little is sound everywhere. every time you say it, Katie. Yeah, is everywhere. I, I'll well, do a anywhere. Chime. And part of the part of the reason that is is th- is cute is a cross-platform technology, right, and that's right. really the the basis for Katie. And so it makes it really easy to port. You know, you don't have to emulate anything. It's it's just natively running. So it's it opens a lot of doors for KDE where other technologies can't quite get there yet because it's just such easy work for us to do it. Okay, so let me I had a question, but now I'm going to back up a little bit because what exactly I mean, I I know you primarily as like the uh, the usability person mm-hmm. in KDE. You know, that's mm-hmm. how I know. What 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 exactly do you do in KDE? So, um I am currently serving on the KDE EV Board of Directors, and the KDE EV is is similar to uh, the American uh, Gnome Foundation, where it's the nonprofit that helps manage the assets of legal representation and um, other, you know, administrative stuff for the KDE community. So I do a lot of boring administrative work, but also (laughs) really, you know, it's important work that needs to get done, and sometimes people just need to herd cats and get decisions done and and find ways to provide support to the community. Because one thing I do want to note is the KDE EV does not make technical decisions Mm. nor drive technical directions. We're there to provide resources to the community so that the community can herd in a specific direction. So it's really, it really is herding cats in a, in a non-community manager yeah, yeah. sort of way. Yeah. So, so that's one of the things that I do. Mm-hmm. I also work with the KDE Usability Project, and it's a mixture of actually doing design and education. And right. I think the education part is probably more important than actually doing design. Um, in in my talk, I gave a little bit of a background of just, you know, the concept of usability and open source and some key points in KDE's history where usability really was a, a turning point in the direction that KDE was going. And I think it's important to for developers to understand, you know, what good design is, what good usability is, because then it empowers them to create better technology technology to think differently about how they want to solve problems, but Mm -hmm. then it also makes them empathetic to users. And overall, it just increases the value and increases the benefits that KDE can provide to the the greater user community. So how important is free software, do you think, in general? I think it's extremely important, um, but maybe not in the philosophical way that a lot of the the more hardcore SF people are about it. I think it's great for innovation because it provides an extremely competitive environment for for new ideas to sort of sprout and grow. Um, I'm also a big believer in free culture and open culture, so Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's something that is right. But, you know, the world isn't perfect and people need to make money and, and that sort of thing. So I'm also very practical whenever it comes to working with a business who might be using, you know, some open source technology, but then they have proprietary stuff. Well, you know, do I provide them support or design services or not? And, you know, I might work for them or provide them like pro bono services in hope that if their business takes off that they'll, you know, have an appreciation for the open source technology that they're using and Mm -hmm. they'll give back to the community. And some companies really do do that. Sure. How much do you think of usability or maybe even intuitiveness, if if they might be the same thing, how much of that do you think is simply the user's history of, you know, what they expect? Like, this is how I've always done it, 
So that's how expected to be done. And if it's done in the same way, then it's automatically more user-friendly, more intuitive. So that is actually a really complex design question that not just open source suffers from. Uh, I'm also a professional designer, and I'm also working on my PhD in HCI. So I come across this problem more than frequently. Uh, um, it's you're always you're you're always struggling with that trade-off because you have to be aware and you have to be empathetic to people's experiences because that will shape how they use and learn your software right. or any type of interface. It doesn't just have to be software. And how they use and learn their software, you have to be able to predict so that you can support them in the necessary ways. However, if you look at some past examples, especially you know in open source, taking from what is maybe popular and mimicking or being overly influenced by those designs, regardless if it was the best design or not, can also have a bad effect on the users. Right. And so that's whenever you start getting into trade-offs, well, do we want to support what the user already knows, even though we know they tend to make these types of mistakes and have these types of problems? Or do we create something completely different that we feel better supports the user, but give them something that's a little bit more difficult to learn, and maybe they won't be so happy getting over that learning curve? So it's it's a very, it, it's not an easy trade-off to make. Right. Okay, well, similarly then, how much do you think uh, consistency and or redundancy is about influences usability, such as you've got those tabs down the side of Conqueror, mm -hmm. or, or well, if you're in the file management view, mm -hmm. but you've got those tabs down the side. You open up Amrock, voila, there are those little tabs down the, the mm -hmm. left-hand side for your collection, your playlist. Uh, you open up Digicam, mm -hmm. there's those tabs. After a while, the user presumably becomes accustomed to the fact that if it's a KDE application, there's a really good chance that there's going to be tabs down the side, and it becomes more more usable, right? Mm -hmm. Or is yes, that uh, no, that that is that is absolutely correct. Consistency is uh, consistency is an extremely low level, very important concept for usability. Consistency allows people to transfer knowledge that they learn in one application to other applications, and so frees up mental resources mm -hmm. for them to either work on whatever task it is or, you know, have a more enjoyable experience without the stress of overcoming problems with the interface. So having consistencies between all of our applications like that, so the places area that you find in, you know, our file dialog in Dolphin in anything where you need to get to somewhere right. is an example of that. So that's more of a a consistent object that we provide everywhere, but it's always called places, and the places that are listed in the places box are always the same, always yeah. in the same order, and that allows users to, to to learn that, you know, that feature is always available and that they'll always be able to get to these certain locations, and so they can go into an application with the expectation of, oh, well, I don't need to copy over files from my uh, my remote file storage and put it over into my home directory because I know that location, my web server or, you know, my NSF, NFS uh, share is available in places and places of, is available in this application right. and I can just go there. I don't need to do this extra work to overcome this, this inadequacy. Well, that, it's funny that you would use that as an example because that took me, I think I'd been using KDE for like a full year probably before I realized that in KDE, unlike in like my former OS, which was Mac, Unlike, in, unlike that, in KDE, I could actually go to the save as 
and save it like to an FTP server or mm-hmm. to like I could save it anywhere Any in the world. That you want. <laughs> and and yep. it literally it took me because it was like in Dolphin I would I would start seeing oh wait I could just type that URL with the protocol. I can do that over here too, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like it became sort of like a, applying a one learning, thing to right. another. It's a learning process, but then once you have that knowledge, you can you can transfer it, and it makes learning the other applications easier. It makes uh, the integration of all the different applications more. I mean, I don't want to say integrated, but it makes them flow together more. So you don't have to think about it anymore. You just do things, and you do the things that you're you're meaning to do and that you want to do, and you don't have to struggle with the interface and make the computer work the way that you want it. Okay, with KDE being such a beautiful and magical and perfect environment, <laughs> and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, how much of a problem is it, in your opinion, is is the fact that we've also got these great, great, great GTK apps and uh, X apps and all these other things that we we can run because we're using like a very flexible platform like Linux. Mm-hmm. We can run them within our KDE environment, but obviously, like you know, you're going to go to save as, and suddenly you're looking at the the GNOME. Right. I guess it is the, right. that file saver or whatever. Uh, how does that affect the user? I guess. So uh, I guess there's 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 two points I'd like to address. One's sort of a design perspective and the other one's from more of a standards perspective. So the standards perspective is probably the easier one and the shorter answer, so I'll start with that. Uh, so for example, with common elements, such as the file dialog, such as the printing dialog, mm-hmm. those are elements that the desktop environment should control. So for example, if you're running a GTK application in KDE and you want to open a file, then the native file open dialog should appear, not whatever is attached to the application. One, it makes the consi- the user experience more consistent, and two, it reduces the amount of crap that you have to ship with the the application. It it shouldn't have to come with its own file dialog. And just to just to clarify, mm-hmm. it, that's not how it works right now, is that right? Um well it it depends. Some application so I'll give you an example where it does work. Okay. Um recently there was some work between uh, Ubuntu and Upstream KDE in order to standardize uh, the DBus protocol for notifications. So now if you run GNOME applications, certain I think most GNOME applications in KDE, and you get uh, some type of message where it needs to alert you of something, it'll use the KDE notification system, even though it's a GNOME application. It's nice. great. I have not seen this. And if you're in Ubuntu and you're running a KDE application, if a KDE application needs to send you a notification, it sends it through the the Ubuntu notification system, which is great. And the real strength in this is whenever you look at the two environments, KDE and Ubuntu do notifications in a completely different way. Completely, like, like... just conceptually <laughs> very different notifications. And if anybody wants to learn more about that, all you have to do is look up, you know, the dialogue that's been going on for the past two years about notifications in Ubuntu. But it works. It makes the experience just flawless. So even though, you know, Ubuntu puts notifications in a certain corner and, and has it styled a certain way, presents the information a certain way, and, and disallows actions, that doesn't take away from the KDE application. You don't have to switch between, oh, wait, I'm running a KDE application in Ubuntu. I have to think about this differently. People shouldn't have to think about something that basic. Yeah. You know? So the, the second point that has to do more with design is, 
again, it's it's back to the trade-offs. And a good designer will always tell you it depends. Right. That's <laughs> that's our answer to everything because it really it really depends. So the benefit of consistency is you know all of the things that I talked about before. However, whenever you step outside the common elements and maybe you're designing all email applications the same, or you're designing all music management systems the same, all of a sudden you're losing a lot of creativity. Yeah. And you're reducing you're you're really making the the environment dumber for the user unnecessarily. Users like exciting things. Users like learning. They like discovery within a limit. You know, if they think that the amount of work that they have to put into something in order to learn something and get the computer to do do it for them, if that limit is okay, then they're perfectly happy for it. So it's inconsistency in that respect. While there are best practices in things like interface design and human factors and usability, you can't be constrained too much by that because then you're going to lose a lot of creativity, and whenever you lose creativity, then you're going to lose innovation. Yeah. In terms of those standardized elements, mm-hmm. it seems like uh, the K-apps, you know, like the KDE software compilation, the things that make up KDE, all are pretty good about following those things. But then sometimes you'll go to uh, like kdeapps.org or something, mm-hmm. and you'll find something that was I guess it's not, you know, branded as a KDE application, I guess. And, and sometimes they'll use, like, a different file chooser. Like, it, I guess it's a default Qt file chooser, maybe. Yeah, that might be a little bit um, the ignorance of the developer creating the KDE application. Maybe they started with Q, the Qt technology and wanted to pull in a few things from KDE. Because all Qt applications will run in KDE. Qt right. is the foundation for, for KDE. And then a lot of people might start with a Qt application, decide to port it to KDE Libs, and start using some of our uh, some of the libraries that provide additional functionality okay. on, ty- on top of Qt. So they might not be aware that KDE has its own file chooser. Maybe they were just lazy and didn't decide to try it. Mm-hmm. Which you know, if the application is going to be successful in KDE, then it needs to look like it belongs to KDE. And so you need to have that trade-off of you know the core elements, the things that don't matter, yeah. really ought to be the same. They need to work together harmoniously. But then you know, however you decide to do you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you as the developer, you have the freedom to be as creative as you want, and, you know, the users will tell you how successful you were at that, because they'll either use your application or not. Right. So. I imagine that you've probably got a a certain set of people who are pretty well integrated with the whole KDE scene, and, you know, (laughs) they know what they're doing and all Mm -hmm. that other stuff. The lone programmer wanders along, and and maybe they're dabbling in Qt, and maybe they're trying to dabble in KDE. Where do they go uh, to learn about like the quote unquote proper or maybe just the KDE way of mm-hmm. doing things. So techbase.kde.org has all of the developer documentation and it has some really great introductory documentation for developers. Everywhere from you know how do you check out a KDE SVN so that you're getting the right stuff to compiling it so it works with everything else to specific projects have specific user interface guidelines they'll Mm. provide code samples so that the new developer writes in the correct style that sort of thing there's also you know open source one of its strengths is peer review and so the best thing somebody could do is put their idea out there and get feedback you know if it's a good idea even if there's problems with it they will get feedback Mm -hmm. so it 
if if you're really serious about it, that I mean, that's one way of doing it. Uh, you can go to IRC channels, you can go to mailing lists and get help. However, keep in mind, KDE has similar open source culture as any other open source project, and you have to do work if you want sure. people to help you. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I have this idea, help me write it or write it for me. You know, you have to have some code to show, and then yeah. people will usually help you. Because even from a practical standpoint, like for me as a designer, it's really difficult to help a developer or even another designer with a design idea until they get something down. Sure. And for me, it'd be paper or, you know, images or anything else like that, because it's you have something tangible to look at, you have something to provide constructive criticism on, and you also know that they're committed to following through so that the cost of me giving that person advice you know, is counterbalanced. Right, okay, cool. What's your background uh, with like Linux? How did you find Linux, and how, you know, what have you been doing with it, I guess? Anytime anyone asks me this question, I have to tell the story about my friend Michael Allers from my undergraduate days because he was really the one who was instrumental in getting me involved in Linux and he loves this story and I've told this told this story many, many times uh, in, in other interviews. I, I was first year in undergraduate and I randomly meet this guy who happened to be a friend of my friend's roommate who was really into Linux. And he just had to show everybody the Linux operating system, and he had to get anybody who was willing to, to install it, to install it on their computer. And somehow, I was a sucker enough to install it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I fell in love with it. It was great. I loved having control over my operating system. I loved having an option besides just having whatever was given to me whenever I bought my hardware. Yeah. And keep in mind, I, I, I didn't go to college. I mean, I was fairly computer literate. I had a when I was growing up and in high school and that sort of thing, but I was no way, you know, a developer or a right. geek at that point. I was still, you know, sort of getting a handle on, on this computer stuff. And it just, I, it just really got me excited about computers. It really helped that I did have, you know, Michael to, to help me with Linux because, you know, 11 years ago, let's see here, 1999, there wasn't a really great non-technical user community yeah, out there. Yeah. And if you had a problem, which back then, there were lots of problems. I mean, I think it was like kernel 2.2.10 or something wow. that I was using. Wow. So there were lots of hardware problems yeah. and that sort of thing. You would be dead in the water. You would be installing Windows the next day because there's no way for you to figure it out on your own. I didn't have the skills yet. And so he, he was really, you know, he provided support and he was really helpful in doing that. And all of a sudden, look where I am. I'm <laughs> contributing to KDE. I'm talking at this conference. You know, I'm traveling all the time, and it, it's is that a all good thing. Or, or do you <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Michael, this is your fault. <laughs> so it's in uh, you know, and there are a lot of factors in how I got involved specifically in KDE and how I got really interested in open source and that sort of thing. But I really, if there was a single event where, you know, yes or no, this would have been my path in life, I have to attribute it to my goals. Okay, well, cool, uh, Celeste. That's, that's, um, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. This was a good talk. Cool. Okay, I'll probably catch you some other time. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.